0: Welcome to the MedEvidence Podcast. This episode is a rebroadcast from a live MedEvidence presentation.
1: We're going to go ahead and get started. Um, I would like to thank everybody for showing up. This is a great turnout for what's going to be an incredible talk. I'd like to start off by introducing our guest speaker. This is Dr. Alpha Patel. She is an internal medicine physician with Millennium Physicians Group down on Gate Parkway. And she has been an investigator here, a principal investigator, a sub-investigator with trials here for almost Six, 20
0: years? 16, I 16. think. 16. That's almost. <laughs> almost. <up>. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so
1: she knows um, clinical research as well as a practice very well. And her new study coming up is a type 2 diabetes study. She's got other studies going on right now quite a bit. So we'll get to those. My name is Sharon Smith. I'm Vice President of Recruiting and Marketing here and for all of the Encore research sites. I'm also a nurse and a diabetic educator, and so that's why Dr. Patel and I like to play off on each other yeah. and co-present on some of the type yeah, 2 diabetes. Yeah, I've had the
0: pleasure of working with Sharon, not just here, but even at my previous practice, and she did a wonderful job with our diabetic patients, so it's been Thank a pleasure you. seeing her back here in a different field. Yeah,
1: and we get to work together more. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to go ahead and get started with yep. some quizzes. i yeah. like to involve the audience. And Can I've got some see- new ones, Dr. Patel, so you <laughs> might not know the answer. So you get to play along. Okay.
0: She's going to test me. All right. First question. <laughs> That's just, just the title slide. trivia. Yeah. All right. So maybe we should have had some of these in our lunch today. <laughs> right. yeah. you, do, you do have some lettuce? All right. That'll count. That'll <go>. count. <laughs> Name the two most. Popular spices in the world. Pepper. Pepper. No. Pepper. You, you got one it's of a them. Mineral. You got no. turmeric.
1: It's one of those. You know the answer.
0: Turmeric.
1: Half of that. Pepper. <laughs> pepper. Black <laughs> pepper. So,
0: pepper, pepper and mustard. mustard. Oh, pepper. I thought it was turmeric. Yeah, pepper. in the whole world. Yeah, wow. I that was interesting. I guess it wasn't ketchup, huh? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't ketchup. <laughs> no ketchup. <laughs> no okay. ketchup means no fries. <laughs> no <laughs> <ketchup>. <laughs> so, which of the following is not a cruciferous vegetable? Um, yeah. Well, that
1: was pretty that easy. That was easy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. bit <laughs> of a hard
1: one. You're right. Asparagus. It was? That exact oh, was question? It? You all saw it in the newsletter, right? No.
0: Oh, okay. okay well good job very good uh but it's not it's a very healthy vegetable for sure i'm sure most of you will agree yeah i think most green vegetables and vegetables with a lot of color in them have a lot more antioxidants and more healthier in fact even when you're eat having your plate or whatever the more color on your plate the better for you Mm -hmm. is eggplant a fruit or a vegetable? I just fruit. had eggplant at parmesan last a night. Fruit. Fruit. If it, is, it is. It is a fruit. It is a fruit. Eggplants, also in most of Europe known as aubergines, are technically a fruit. They come from a flowering plant and since it contains seeds, kind of like a tomato is considered a fruit as well. So. Yep. Okay. I only stumped you on one out of three. I'm
1: going to get tougher <laughs> next time.
0: All right. True or false? Sugar may be more addictive than oh. cocaine. Yeah? Is Don't anyone addicted in here? Ready? No. Who's, who's addicted in here? Is, it, is anyone going to fess up to it? Is it <laughs> all right. True. This is a smart crowd today. It is. It <laughs> so as far as addictive substances, even in 2012, sugar was not considered addictive by the American Psychiatric Association with the criteria changed in 2013, where tolerance, withdrawal, or tolerance and dependence became a criteria for addiction. And just like gambling, social media, shopping, sugar actually got classified as something that was an addictive uh, uh, chemical. So, and even you know people think that maybe having the diet version is okay versus a full coke but it's just as addictive and sometimes having diet drinks makes you crave food more it increases your appetite and now you might be craving the sugar after a diet type of drink so even diet sodas are not the best for you if you don't need to get addicted don't do either one (laughs) so you know counting calories is one way to maybe help you with diet and keeping your weight down or your sugar, but so calories are misleading, right? So a 300 calorie salmon versus 300 calories of donut, the other one's actually gonna keep you full for a lot longer, you'll be more satisfied, it will keep your sugars more even, versus this donut where all you're gonna do is feel your sugar crash a couple hours later and now you're gonna want something Again, plus you don't need the extra fat either, so counting calories alone is not the best way to manage your diet. Um, this is one of my favorite slides. It's a little bit busy, but we're going to talk about each organ system and how diabetes affects it and really even medications that are targeted to help that. So first of all, starting up, up um, but we'll start with the pancreas, right, because everybody knows that the pancreas is one of the the biggest things that, that fails in, in diabetes. The longer you have diabetes, you lose more and more pancreatic function, especially in some of the cells called beta cells that produce insulin. One of the main defects in diabetes is you make less insulin, and that raises your blood sugar, and insulin has a very important function in the body in bringing glucose to your organs and cells. And when you're not having appropriate levels of insulin, the sugar staying in the bloodstream and causing more damage to other organs. It um, actually causes the the fat cells to um, deposit more fat. It starts breaking down muscle for energy because you're not getting the insulin to move the glucose into the appropriate cells. Um so the next one we're talking about is muscles the muscles have decreased glucose uptake when you don't have enough insulin and so you start breaking down muscle you may find in sometimes in patients that are initially diagnosed with diabetes they're losing weight um you know they're hungry a lot they're thirsty a lot they're urinating a lot that's because you're not getting the glucose to the right places one of the other defects that happens is also that the um pancreas causes not only less insulin uh, to be secreted, but it inadvertently increases glucagon secretion. Now, glucagon is another hormone that actually raises sugar. So it's kind of like a double whammy. Not only are you not making enough insulin, now you're going to push out glucagon that causes more sugar increases. And this happens a lot even at night while you sleep. I mean, I have a lot of my diabetic patients tell me, you know, when I went to bed, my sugar was this. When I woke up, it was a lot higher. I didn't get up in the middle of the night to eat, but that's your liver producing glucose from the excess glucagon. Um, One of the newer areas we figured out in the last probably decade now is that the intestine has a big um, part to play in diabetes. The intestines, when you eat this meal, for example, it should trigger some hormones called incretins. The incretins, allow the pancreas to release insulin. They also kind of work on your brain and what we call your satiety center. That's where you should feel some fullness. In those patients that are diabetic, they have diminished um, incretins. They don't produce the same amount or they have a delayed response. So sometimes you don't feel full. You're not getting those triggers of, hey, I need to stop, this is enough. Maybe half of this wrap was all I needed. Those signals and those leptin feedback loops are messed up as well. So a lot of the new drugs that they talk about, like the Ozempics and these injectables, they work on that incretin effect and helping with making you full quicker, maybe brain signals that not make you crave some of the things that you were craving and inadvertently helping you to lose weight.
1: And they help you feel full mm-hmm.
0: after they eating They help you less. feel full. Yeah, they move the food slower through your gut as well. So that's kind of why sometimes people feel a little bloated or even constipation. But a lot of those side effects also do improve with time with that. Um, and then like we talked about, there's there's feedback loops from your stomach to your brain called the leptin feedback. And those sometimes signals are misconstrued or don't work appropriately in diabetic patients. So you don't get that feedback to your brain telling you to stop eating as well. Um, And then the liver, like we talked about, may produce excess glucose as well, which is something that, you know, you don't want. You sometimes see those morning sugar increases because of that. Another area that there's defects that we found in diabetic patients are at the kidneys. There are certain receptors in the kidneys called SGLT2 receptors that um, actually they work with um, increasing glucose reabsorption. So the glucose isn't urinated out, but it's actually reabsorbed back in the blood. Well, we don't need that. You already got enough sugar when you got diabetes. So there are a lot of class of uh, drugs called SGLT2 inhibitors that now allow you to really urinate out the sugar, like Invacana is one, Jardiance is one, Farsiga is one of those. I'm sure you guys that are on it know, you know, have heard of some of those names. And then lastly. I can just
1: say, Dr. Patel, what I love about that class of drugs um, that when you're on it is, it's the only class of drugs that actually removes glucose from the body. Right? All the rest of them push it out of the bloodstream and get your blood sugar down. But this class of drug removes the sugar from your body.
0: And as a result, uh, they're called SGLT2 inhibitors. And. Three of them uh, in that class are Farsiga, Involucrana, So I think there's one more. Was it Steglatro? Yeah. Which mm-hmm. I don't think you know. Probably d- don't use much. Um, no. But you might, oh, because of because these make you urinate out glucose. There is a slight increased risk, especially in women, of like urinary tract infection or oh, yeast wonderful. infections, because they love the sugar too, right? The yeast loves it yeah, just as much yeah. as we do. So. Uh, We have noticed a little bit of that. And sometimes we can put people on some preventive medicines to prevent that. But that whole class of drugs has also now been found to reduce your risk for worsening kidney disease in diabetic patients, in reducing your cardiovascular mortality, meaning like less heart attacks, less strokes, improving congestive heart failure. They also improve your blood pressure and weight somewhat as well. So this is like a new class of drugs that now we found kind of does multiple different things. And
1: the cardiologists are prescribing now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And even in non-diabetic patients, the cardiologists are prescribing those drugs because it helps with all this cardiovascular function. These classes of drugs, honestly, are quite expensive and especially on our, our elderly patients on Medicare. And there's a big push with the government over the next year or two in working with the pharmaceutical industry and reducing costs for our seniors. Because these drugs like, have cost the, the healthcare system and Medicare millions of dollars, and even patients can't afford them, and we know they're doing patients so much good. So hopefully that kind of legislation will pass, and they work with the drug companies in trying to help reduce costs for our seniors as well. Um, so we'll go on to... I think we talked about that a little bit in the beginning. Um, yep. So... So the... Basically, when you don't have enough insulin you're um well you you start you start kind of the fat cells take up a lot as well so um with diabetes, a lot of the patients actually also have more fat deposition you're not breaking down fat, you're breaking down muscle for energy, which is inadvertent. you really want to break down fat for energy um I'll let you talk about this one.
1: This is one of my favorite um, graphs. It comes from Verda Health, and they do a lot of work with diabetics. But it shows the impact that the different macronutrients have on blood sugar. It is on your um, colorful out too, I think, too. Just because a lot of people really like this, so this is going to be your carbohydrate impact. Okay, refined carbohydrates obviously will be much higher. Maybe a vegetable that's a carbohydrate a little bit lower, but basically they have the biggest. Impact on raising your blood sugar—they break down right away. The potato Mm -hmm. carbohydrate,
0: vegetable.
1: What is it? It's a carbohydrate. carbohydrate. Vegetables are carbohydrates. And corn. Yep, carbohydrate.
0: But there are good carbohydrates too, right? Like every carbohydrate's not bad.
1: Broccoli is a carbohydrate. Give us examples. Yeah. So no, that's not too bad.
0: And, and broccoli is a vegetable that's actually a good carbohydrate. So yeah. you could pick better carbohydrates right. as well. Exactly.
1: <laughs> then we have protein. Okay. That's going to be your fish, your eggs, your meat, your cheeses. Um, and that's going to have, it's going to go li- less high than your carbohydrates. And it's going to last a little bit longer. Okay. Here comes your healthy fats. Okay. Think about your eggs, your nuts, um, your avocados. Mm-hmm. Coconut oil, avocado oil, long low impact on your blood sugar. So, if you combine these food groups, so let's say, and I think an actual egg is fifty percent protein, fifty percent fat. That's a good. That's going to have very little impact on your blood sugar. Anybody who tells me a boiled egg raises their blood sugar, I'd like to look at that a little, little bit more. Too, and avocado has fat too, but, but they're good fats. Has protein and fat. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so a ribeye steak—I can say that now that the cardiologist walked out of the room. <laughs> 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 Has the same protein and fat, so yeah, it's the combination that makes a difference because we don't ever really eat just a protein meal or a carb meal or a fat meal. Right. Yeah. So think about your combinations.
0: So another quiz: How much sugar is actually in our blood?
1: The answer's Ooh. up there. <laughs> <laughs>
0: We well, have five liters of blood, oh, yeah, five, five grams, about a teaspoon oh. of sugar is what's normal. This is what's normal what's in your normal, blood. What's normal, yes. So you
1: get a normal blood sugar, yeah.
0: right? Wouldn't y'all,
1: some of you love to see that blood sugar yeah. in the morning?
0: <laughs> yeah. And so. that's that's a misconception, right? So Sharon said in the morning, a lot of you may get normal blood sugars in the morning, and a lot of patients only check their sugar in the morning because it looks better, right? It's nice to see that number. But the more important sugars that really raise up your A1C and that three-month test that we do are what we call postprandials. The sugars that you eat now, in a couple hours from now, if your body's di- digestive system and endocrine system's working right, you should start seeing lower numbers. And really, in a diabetic patient, getting under 160 or so a couple hours later is appropriate. Um, check yours a couple of hours after a meal if those are running high, that's where you're seeing your A1C yeah. jump from, you know.
1: Two hours after yeah. the first bite. Help check that so this yeah. just gives you oh. five grams is in your body, in your blood. So think about a soda. How many grams sugar are in that? Uh-huh. Like 45, 45? Forty-five. Uh-huh. Look at what that does to your body. You're used to five. Like nine times five. more. <laughs> right. So people who are sensitive to insulin, non-diabetics, their blood sugar is going to go up, but it's going to come right back down. They're going to be able, their insulin's going to be able to come and bring that, that sugar down. But people with type 2 diabetes have a hard time with that. Your blood sugar goes up and it stays up. And sometimes if you start the morning with a high blood sugar, it's hard to get it down the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. You're checking it regularly. It's not easy to calm down. So. Just want you to think about when you look at a label and you see how many carbs, total carbohydrates, not just sugar, total carbohydrates are in that package. Think about it. My body has five grams. What's in this? What am I giving my body? And how hard is my body going to have to work to bring that blood sugar back down?
0: And we talked a lot earlier about, you know, the pancreas not making enough insulin, but I would say the majority of you in the room probably have type 2 diabetes, adult onset which really insulin resistance is a big part of that. You probably make enough insulin in the beginning, sometimes even more insulin to try to overcome the insulin resistance. Um, And so insulin resistance plays a big part in diabetes for adults or type 2 patients. And that's why, you know, really working on that whole neuroendocrine brain loop, we have so many different signals and pathways now that we can target to help improve that insulin resistance as well. You
1: want to talk about yeah, Let's this is it. just a neat graphic that comes from Dr. Um, Unwin out of the UK, and it gives you an idea of these are your five grams, one teaspoon, five grams of sugar. How many teaspoons of sugar are in certain foods? And it kind of gives you an idea. And so here's your here's your white boiled potato
0: up there. That's the, the there. one you asked about. That's the, one you <laughs> the asked. only one above
1: it is rice on this chart. <laughs> but um, again, notice a lot of times. A lot of the diabetics I work with will notice their sugars go up more from this kind of white carbohydrate food than a piece of candy. Sometimes it's not, or a piece of pie. It's these kind of carbohydrates that break down so fast in their bloodstream and spike their blood sugar. So this chart does go on and on. You can kind of look at you. Can and then it with later.
0: rice, especially, you want to talk about like so rice. If you cook it ahead of time and let it like. Uh, it or like, you know, have rice from a day ago, you have what, less starch in that versus just fresh rice that you bake. You want to kind of yeah, we, we to got to fight on that? that? We got a we slide on it. Slide. Okay, yep, well, I won't we'll get talk. ahead then. Um, so the elevated insulin levels that I talked about earlier, which probably a lot of type two diabetic patients have, they prevent that breakdown of fat to energy that we talked about. So now you have more fat deposition as a result of elevated insulin levels. It also interferes with that whole brain signal leptin loop in preventing the signals that stop you from eating more, keep you from getting full. And so a lot of those patients, they feel hungry all the time. I have many of my diabetic patients that are uncontrolled tell me like, I don't know how to control this. I'm always hungry. Um, So at least now we have better ways that we can control this because all of this then just leaves the more fat deposition and just worsening that whole signal pathway.
1: So yeah. I go back to insulin is your fat storage hormone. So think about that. That's why we don't like to raise our insulin level. <laughs> um, type 2 diabetes. So you've heard of people who are lactose intolerant. I really <laughs> like to let people know that as a type 2 diabetic, you need to look at yourself as you are a you have a carbohydrate intolerance. You just don't tolerate carbohydrates like other people do because of all the reasons that Dr. Patel just went over your, your blood sugars are going to stay high with carbohydrates longer than a non-diabetic. So they do, they just call it here, basically, um, dietary carbohydrate restriction. That's if you're intolerant to the carbs and you just try to avoid them as much as possible or have just a little bit at the end of the meal, or combine them with a lot of protein and fat. Those blood sugar,
0: mm-hmm. and even the order in which you eat them, right? Like you don't want dessert first. We got this slide know. coming too. Am I jumping ahead of you? Continuously <laughs> she knows these slides so well. <laughs> <laughs> Here's some sneaky ways that 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 this is all sugar. Sneaky Names right? for sugar, yeah. yeah. Sneaky names for sugar. You may see these in a lot of products, and there are a lot of these. For a while, like we had a lot of things that would say sugar-free, like people think that if they had sugar-free ice cream, it's probably better than not, but they still raise you and spike your blood sugar up. So
1: I think it's Honey Nut Cheerios. I know when I started this slide, Honey Nut Cheerios, I used to put the label up, five sources of sugar in Honey Nut Cheerios. So again, sometimes people will bring me a bar or something and say, well, what do you think of this? And I'll go through sugar, 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 but it's just labels. So you really have to look at that. Uh Oh.
0: So tips for managing your diabetes. Number one, fluid intake. Right. So we tell people like half your body weight. Um. If you weigh one hundred and twenty pounds, sixty ounces is what you want to drink a day. Like most of these, like larger bottles of water are usually like sixteen ounces each. So. Funny. be um, be three of these. Yeah. And so. The more hydrated you are, the better for your blood sugar. And some of these medications that we talked about, too, like those SGLT2 inhibitors, you need to drink a lot of water for those to work well, because think about it, you're going to be peeing out sugar. We got to increase that urine flow somehow, too, right? Um, Another way to kind of help you eat less is maybe keeping, drink more water, like drink some water before your meals, Um, maybe not during. Or immediately right after, but before kind of keeps you full and it makes you not eat as much.
1: Put some whey into it. Um, so nowadays, you know, there's so many protein shakes out there. We all we keep them at work all the time. But they did do a study where they had 50 grams of whey protein or a placebo 30 minutes before eating three slices of white bread with jelly on it. Wouldn't that throw all of our blood sugars up <laughs> through the roof? you know. But guess what? Blood sugars. For the whey protein, three hours postprandial were 28% less. And the early insulin response, seeing that early insulin response was at 30 minutes postprandial was 96% higher. So that protein, think back to the graph of the macronutrients. A big bolus of that protein, whatever shake you like, got very little carbs in it. I think you can get below 10, 10 grams of carbs. And they're all like 25, 40. Grams of protein is a great way to, okay, I'm going out to dinner. I know I'm not going to eat well. We're going to Mexican. We're going to have chips and margaritas. Drink a protein shake before you go and just relax and eat what you want. Mm -hmm. Or you go into a family dinner and you know they're going to have your favorite macaroni and cheese and all sorts of things that aren't good for your blood sugar. Drink a protein shake before you go and enjoy, enjoy the time. We need to Mm -hmm. learn to live with this disease, right? Without it being torture. So it's just a good way to manage your blood sugars and control it yourself. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when I travel, I take um, the protein and I put it in a little Ziploc. You can buy a bottle of water, pour it in, take it, and then I can go get the firehouse sub at the Jacksonville (laughs) airport.
0: The food is a big part of diabetes. And one of the things that Sharon's talking about, the early response. A lot of times with diabetes, you don't have that initial release of insulin like right after a meal. There may be a delayed response. So your sugar stays spiked up for a long time. But then later on, if you really had like a high carb meal, you could start noticing your sugar crashing because you have a delayed elevation of insulin. Yeah.
1: Which is why sometimes people who have a lot of hypoglycemic events, they say, might be prone to developing into pre-diabetes. This is a really exciting This was I was
0: getting ahead of. This, this is right she knows this really well.
1: But this was they took a submarine sandwich, okay? You got the bread, turkey, cheese, lettuce, tomato, and that's going to be the green line. They ate the sub, their blood sugar went up and came back down. And then they said, Okay, I want you to disassemble the, the sub, eat the bread first. And then the turkey, cheese, lettuce, tomato. And this was the carb first. All the way, you went much higher. And look at this. You dropped a whole lot lower. That's that hypo feeling for some people. But if they took and ate the turkey and cheese first, the the carb last, look at this effect. Not much. So consistent with the protein shakes, consistent with your food order is Go ahead and eat the protein first. So you sit down for a family meal and you've got, you know, your baked chicken, your green beans and macaroni and cheese. Eat the macaroni and cheese last and you should have a less effect on your blood sugar than if you started with the, ma- the macaroni and cheese. So food order. It's hard no. to do it on a day with what we served you. Unless
0: well, you, you could have eaten the chicken oh, out of the, yeah, the bread first or, or just the chicken and salad. and. Yeah. Sometimes after you eat that protein, you probably don't even want the rest of that pito, whatever, right? Right. Yeah. And let me tell you why I love eggs for dinner. Even if you have three eggs or
1: two, eggs are what? 50 cents an egg. That's like a deal. Okay. (laughs) You can get by and have dinner for $1.50. And
0: even though eggs are
1: going up, they're still hanging Mm
0: -hmm. around 50 cents. So
1: you can still eat a good egg dinner for less than $2.
0: And you could add a bunch of veggies and stuff into it, like a you know, peppers and onions Pepper and like a whole bunch. Of, yeah, and then that's, you, you get all your vegetables too, right? Yeah, so. that's too much work. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. You keep them pre-cut. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. I love <laughs> a bunch oh. of bell peppers and, and all onion. that in there. <laughs> and onions.
1: Here you go. Here's your other favorite slide.
0: Yep, the resistant starches. So that's what we were talking about earlier. So potato, cooking rice and then cooling it. Same thing with the potatoes um, the green beans, you know, how like you do the overnight oats, all that stuff, like kind of prevents the carb, um, from breaking down easier and it helps improve the insulin sensitivity. So you may not see your blood sugar spike as much. If you cooked that earlier, let it cool down and then eat it. Like probably like day old rice is probably the Mm -hmm. best thing. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Um, the other place I see this in type one diabetics who are very, very sensitive Um, one of them came to me and said, he noticed he could have the sushi, but not the fried rice. No, the other way around. He could have the fried rice, but not the sushi. And he didn't know why. Mm. And when he asked them, they said that the fried rice was leftover rice from the day before they made into fried rice. So they cooled it overnight. It became a resistant starch and then they made fried rice out of it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah you also yeah, have to be careful sometimes with fried rice as though you can get other bacteria that's as well so you got to make sure it's cooked all the way or, uh, yeah. Yeah. and this this study <laughs> that they did back in
1: 2010 it says that using resistant starches in your diet actually improved insulin sensitivity in some people with metabolic syndrome so that's going to actually improve your insulin response sometimes so um it's something worth trying yeah. Yeah. green bananas you'd have to put them in a shake probably or
0: and one of the things that that's very helpful too is good gut bacteria. You, there's a lot of evidence now that you know many diseases are caused by inappropriate gut flora. Like you need certain healthy bacteria in your gut. So I turned fifty last year, and I finally got my colonoscopy ten days ago. Um, what an experience! So now at least now now at least me bugging all my patients about it, I can say I did it right. But I think it wiped out everything from my, like, I've had to start back eating very slowly, taking probiotics, because it probably, you need good bacteria for digestion, for insulin sensitivity. And maybe there's more targets of treatment and improving that whole, what we call gut microbiome. We think it maybe even helps diseases like Alzheimer's as well. There's a lot of research and investigation going into that.
1: So for some people, rice is worse potatoes are better, that's where you need to know your own. And like Dr. Patel said, if you check your blood sugar before a meal and you check it two hours after, called the poor man's continuous glucose monitor, you should go up and come back down to where you were before the meal. If you didn't, there were too many carbs in that meal for you. So Everybody's a little bit different. We're going to throw all those in the I same category. I think there's category. differences
0: in metabolism and food sensitivities based on ethnicity too. So a couple of years ago, you know, every everybody goes on a kick and does a diet in January, right? So I went on a high protein diet. Well, I'm vegetarian and Asian, so rice and vegetables are a big part of my daily meals, and I stopped eating those. I was eating a bunch of uh, healthy fats and protein. You would have thought that would have been good for me. I gained like seven pounds in two weeks and I was supposed to be on a diet and I felt awful and I told Sharon about it. I'm like, look at this diet change I made, and this has the, been the worst thing for me mm-hmm. because I think based on my ethnicity and how I've been brought up and what my food intolerances were, that was not appropriate for mm-hmm. me. so going back to maybe just smaller portions of what I was normally eating was mm-hmm. probably the best mm-hmm. thing for me so I think you have to kind of see, like we may tell people, go on a high-protein diet, you'll lose weight. Well, that backfired for me, Mm -hmm, mm quick-like. So I think you have to really figure out for yourself what works for you. you And the
1: other side of that is when your mother made me that beautiful meal, Mm -hmm. vegetarian meal with all the Indian spices, and it was amazing. (laughs) My blood sugar went from 100 to 280. I went up 180 points in one meal. (laughs) And it was like, well, my body's not used to that. Yours is not
0: used to that. not used to that.
1: So it is differences in
0: people.
1: Okay, oatmeal. And I just heard something on this this morning from a cardiologist. So um, in my experience, doesn't mean it's your blood sugars, um, I have seen oatmeal spike blood sugars in type 2 diabetics quite a bit. And usually they don't have just the oatmeal. Um, Steel-cut oats are a little bit more fiber. They're a little bit more of a whole kernel. but. What I really love is, you know, we're in clinical trials here and we look at the data that comes from trials. So they did a trial with children and they fed overweight overweight children, one of the three, either the instant oatmeal, steel cut oats, or an omelet for breakfast. And then they checked their blood afterwards. So instant oatmeal throughout the day, those children ate 81% more food. They were hungry, kind of like she said with the donut versus the salmon, they're hungry. Steel-cut oats, they ate only 51% more food. All of those compared to the omelets. Plus, when they checked the blood levels in the the oatmeal group, insulin, sugar, adrenaline, and cortisol were all elevated. Cortisol is your stress hormone. So in these kids, feeding them instant oatmeal, which has sugar in it, raised their blood sugar and stressed out their body, probably trying to get that blood sugar down. (laughs) So oh, does that mean you can never have oatmeal? No. There are ways that people combine the oatmeal with a scoop of protein powder or their protein shake. So now you've got maybe 30 grams of protein to help keep that blood sugar down. You know, um, some people put peanut butter in it. I would just say, or put nuts, nuts on top. Yeah. So try to find something, if you like oatmeal.
0: fiber with like you can chia seeds, things like that to help. Absolutely. Well, now I'm ruining your
1: bread. <laughs>
0: but it's going to ruin your whole lunch by the end of it. <laughs> Dr.
1: Diamond, uh, Dr. Hyman at Cleveland Clinic did a study on the two slices of bread, and it was a whole wheat bread, and it raised the blood sugar faster than a tablespoon of sugar. So, again, you know, I said some people candy or the pie doesn't raise it as much as the carb does. So, and again, it's all individual. You need to check what works but some people say well it was whole wheat bread it wasn't wonder white
0: you want to do more of like the high fiber like the ezekiel (laughs) has
1: has anybody ever tried the ezekiel bread that tastes like cardboard but you can make it flavorful (laughs) is that
0: the sprouted ones (laughs) The sprouted yeah yeah
1: sprouted wheat yeah yeah those are some good i mean you can make it it's not the toast with butter you have to do something with it
0: so there's some things that you know can definitely raise your sugar. Whenever you're sick, you also may notice your blood sugar is higher, especially if you have an infection. Um, on those patients that are on insulin, we sometimes have to even increase the insulin levels, even when they're sick and may not be eating as much because the infection itself may be increasing cortisol and things like that. Stress definitely is a is a big component to increasing blood sugar because it increases all your adrenaline and cortisol. Lack of sleep pain, of course, the donuts and the, and the food that we're not supposed to eat, um, you know, skipping your medicines, I think, is a big part. And sometimes, you know, it's difficult or side effects from medicines, which I think all of you should work with your doctors because we have a lot better options with medicines. If, you're, if you have side effects, there are definitely other options that they can work with you on instead of skipping them. Um, Many diabetic pa- patients do have gum disease or gingivitis, but that also can increase your blood sugars. And getting re- routine dental care once a year is very important for anyone with diabetes. We, what we talked about the, that dawn phenomenon was that surge in hormones that sometimes happens while you're sleeping. Glucose production increases because your liver is pushing out um, blood sugar, and and you know from elevations in glucagon. Um, of course um you know going to high altitudes can raise it which you know down here in florida we shouldn't have a big problem with um and then just you know being sedentary not enough exercise um we find you know it's harder as you get older right like mobility is is decreased there's pain there's all of that but there's still ways to be active so my mom recently just started doing chair yoga with a few of her friends. They get together on Zoom and one of them is supposedly a retired doctor who she does this with them. And she's actually noticed that she has much more energy. She's moving a lot better. I don't know about her sugars. We're gonna find out when she comes (laughs) see me next week. But, um, you know, I think overall it's helping with her energy level. And so I'm hoping many of the other things are better, but there's still ways. To do some activity, even when your mobility is not that great,
1: sunburn too. Sunburn is one, believe it or not, and that's that's probably more of a problem than high altitude here in Florida. Mm-hmm.
0: So, some of the newer uh, drugs out there, the GLP one agonists, I'm sure all of you have heard of the OZEMPIX and Trulicity and by by manjaro Victoza. Um, manjaro is actually a dual; it's a GLP slash GIP, which we'll talk about at a different side. But these are all injectable medicines, uh, majority given once a week, except for Victoza, which is daily. Um, They actually trigger the pancreas to produce more insulin after eating. And so maybe you think, well, too much insulin is not good either, right? But this produces it appropriately. So what we talked about was in diabetic patients, you have an inappropriate insulin increase too far out after eating you need it more closer to the timing of the meal so that you're using the, the food and things that you just put in to actually get to your organs, to get to your muscles. It actually even slows down gastric emptying. So food sits there longer, you may feel full quickly. Um, you may not get hungry as often. So that helps with some of the weight loss. Um, as a result, I guess some people feel constipated There are some black box warnings now on these medicines of gastroparesis, where it actually had a case, I think of someone who was in the media a few months ago where it actually just slowed down their gut to the point where they had gastric paralysis. It's very rare, but we have to tell patients about that. Um, They reduce your postprandial glucagon, so it prevents more of that glucose going into your bloodstream. And it actually makes you feel full quicker, like you might be pushing back from that after quarter of that meal versus three quarters of the meal. So that actually overall helps with your um, you know, weight and, and glucose levels. Um, one of the things you have to be careful with with these medicines or classes of medicines is if you have any hereditary forms of thyroid cancer, ones that run in families, a particular type of uh, thyroid cancer, Um, then you cannot use these in those patients. So if you get put on these medicines and your doctor doesn't ask you about your family history of thyroid cancer, if you have one, please tell them. (laughs) So um, the next slide talks about the newer classes of these injectables, um, which there's only one right now, terzepatide, which is brand named as Manjaro for diabetes. Now it's also being used for weight loss alone called ZepBound. Um, And this actually does the same type of thing, but it also inhibits dipolysis. It really, it prevents the fat deposition and helps you to break down fat. So it actually has two different GLPs and another one called what we call the GIP, a gastric inhibitory peptide. It's actually making both of these stomach hormones work better to not only improve your blood sugar, make you feel full quicker, but also to break down fat. Like we always worry, like with patients on diabetes, a lot of the medicines even we had in the past, like actos or pyoglitazone, maybe another name for it, it used to put on like 20, 30 pounds on patients. Mm-hmm. Now we have drugs where we can help diabetic patients even lose weight. Um, yeah. So we'll talk about um some of the gut dysfunction. We kind of gave you a little prelude on that. So, you know, gut microbiome, gut flora actually has a big part in like blood sugar homeostasis. Um, And we found that restoring good gut bacteria and good duodenal health can actually improve your overall metabolic health, improve glycemic control, improve all these signals that help patients with diabetes. We actually are gonna be doing a study here Um, Part of it's going to be here, part of it's going to be in Orlando, where the actual procedure will be done, where through an endoscopy, which is a similar type of procedure to a colonoscopy, but the other end. So through the endoscopy procedure, they will be using a device that actually kind of resurfaces that duodenal lining. So the duodenum is the first part of your intestine. After your food moves out of your stomach, it goes into the duodenum. And duodenal dysfunction we found can lead to increases in blood sugar. So this procedure will actually cause like, that uses, it's almost like a little clipper that kind of clips little areas of your duodenum and it allows that surface to come back again with good gap bacteria. And what we'll be doing is then monitoring these patients very closely to slowly try to take them off of some of their medicines some of these patients in the early studies were able to get off of insulin. I don't know how long they were able to get off of it, but it was it was a year study and, and during that time, people were able to get off of insulin. So these are some newer studies we're looking at, like non-medicine. This is just mm-hmm. a procedure, right? You're not even gonna have to take any additional medicine. Um, oh, they're only looking at those studies right now for patients on insulin. You can be on other medications but you have to be on insulin. But I think down the road, if they find that this helps people come off of insulin, they'll maybe looking at it for other patients too that are, are not on insulin-related uh, medications. Um, and clinical trials, Um, I don't know, how many of you in here have participated in a research study with us before? Yeah, a few. So all of this is no cost to you. In fact, we very much appreciate all of you coming here today. And if you do participate in a study, I think you're you're not only helping us learn better about medicine, helping create better products, not only for yourself but you know, for your children, for your grandchildren. And we reimburse you for time travel. You get paid to do the studies. There's no cost for any participation to you, and you'll be monitored much more closely. With instead of the 15 minutes that we have in our office, or you know, you'll spend much longer visits here with the physician, with dietitians, with nurses. Uh, with the whole team that's going to be taking care of you. Um, One of the other things in patients that have never done a research study is they worry about, well, what if I'm having an adverse effect? Everything that's happening to you, we want to know about because we want to know if there's trends. If we find that in this study, everyone's blood pressure is going up, well, maybe we need to stop the study, right? So you're going to be watched very closely. Your labs will be monitored by us closely. And if we even see something that's not going in the right direction sometimes, we may stop a patient from the study or even stop a study altogether. So you will definitely be safely monitored throughout throughout the study as well. Thanks for joining the MedEvidence podcast. To learn more, head over to MedEvidence.com or subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform.